This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Green is the New Red, the Communist Motivations Behind Environmentalism. Two articles by Mr. James Bascom. Globalists and communists know that their best chance for success in the 21st century is to use the environmental movement to further their cause. Often, the environmentalists are only too happy to comply because they see the United Nations and national governments as the only entities that can force free people to accept their agenda. This is peculiar in that two of the greatest environmental disasters, Chernobyl and the Chinese coronavirus, have both occurred under the aegis of communists and that only Western republics have ever successfully cleansed previously polluted air and water. This is a case in which ideology triumphs over Christianity, experience, and the ideals of human rights. Mr. James Bascom explores these themes in the two articles that make up this episode of the Return to Order Moment. The first article is a transcript of a talk that Mr. Bascom gave at a conference called by opponents of the Pan-Amazon Synod, which took place in Rome on October 5, 2019. It is entitled, This is How the Green Ecology Movement Turned Red. At first glance, it would seem that Marxism, socialism, and communism would have little in common with ecology. After all, communist and formerly communist countries such as Russia and China have perhaps the worst environmental records in history. Just the word Chernobyl summarizes the massive disregard for the natural world under communist governments. Today, China is the worst polluter in the world, by far. And that is not surprising since Marx, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao all praised heavy industry, such as steel mills, oil refineries, and chemical plants, as integral to communism. They wrote about the need to dominate the forces of nature with brutal, overwhelming force by building massive hydroelectric dams, canals, and other projects. So why is it that since the fall of the Berlin Wall, socialists have enthusiastically adopted ecology? Why have people who previously espoused Marxism as their creed, people who turned a blind eye to communist devastation of the earth during the Cold War, now worship at the Temple of Gaia? Why is green the new red? Because upon closer inspection, Marxism and modern ecology indeed have much in common. Ecology is both the natural successor to and a more radical application of the principles of Marxism, socialism, and communism. They all share the same principles and the same final goals. Ecology is, in fact, a more advanced stage of the same historical process described by the Brazilian professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira in his book, Revolution and Counter-Revolution. The same anarchical and egalitarian yearnings apparent in the Protestant Revolt, the French Revolution, and the Communist Revolution all find their completion and fulfillment in ecology and its 21st century incarnation, indigenous tribalism, which the Pan-Amazon Synod is proposing for the Church. Like the French Revolution, from which it drew much inspiration, absolute equality was the central tenet of Marxism. Justice and morality in communist thought is determined by the degree to which someone or something eliminates inequality of wealth. Communism also embraces evolution, applying to society the same principles that Charles Darwin applied to biology. For Marxism, 
The primary means of achieving this perfect equality is class warfare. Quote, The history of all hitherto existing society is the history of class struggles, wrote Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels in the Communist Manifesto. To establish the communist utopia, these superior classes must be eliminated, by violence if necessary. All this is to achieve a future utopian society that has no classes, hierarchies, inequalities, and especially private property. Communism, they continued, can be reduced to a single sentence, the abolition of private property, unquote. Much less known, however, is that both Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels incorporated ecology into their communist theories. According to Marx, man is one with nature. Marx's philosophical manuscripts, 1844, stated, The plants, the animals, the stones, the air, the light, and so forth, are part of man's life and of man's activity. Nature is the inorganic body of man. That man lives in nature means that nature is his body, with which he must be in constant relation so as not to die. To say that the physical and spiritual life of man is one with nature is nothing else than affirming that nature is one with itself because man is part of nature, unquote. On his part, Engel states in his 1876 Dialectics of Nature that being one flesh with nature, man originally respected it. The dominion he had over nature was brotherly and not oppressive. Quote, We don't dominate nature as a conqueror dominates a foreign people, oppressing it. We don't dominate nature as someone who is different from nature, but as someone who is one with nature. We belong to nature. We are one flesh and one blood with nature. We are one brain with nature. We live in its womb, unquote. This idyllic state, which Engels identifies with the primitive tribes, was made possible by the absence of private property. Men thought not in terms of me and mine, but in terms of us and ours. There were no hierarchies, and therefore no domination of some over the others. Engels argued that at a certain point there was a violent rupture in human relations. The communitarian us and ours gave way to the individualistic me and mine. Some men began to overwhelm others, first by appropriating the women, whence the family, then by appropriating the means of production, whence private property, and finally by appropriating the mechanisms of power, whence the state. Hierarchy was born, and with it, oppression and alienation. This disruption also affected the relations with nature, upon which man began to exert the same type of oppressive dominion that the upper classes exerted on the lower ones, as seen in Engels, The Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State, 1890. Engels concluded that the epitome of this oppression of man over nature is capitalism based on the bourgeois mentality whose only goal is profit, no matter the cost to the environment. Italian communist thinker Giorgio Nebbia thus synthesizes his thought in Communism and Ecology, 1995, quote, The root of the violence against nature and the environment are to be found in private property, in the laws of maximum profit, in the rules and reasons of the capitalist society, unquote. 
From these premises, communist and anarchist thinkers like Kropotkin and Thoreau began to analyze the roots of man's violence over nature, seen as intrinsic to the capitalist and bourgeois system based on consumerism. As a consequence, they saw in ecology a necessary element of the socialist, communist, anarchist revolution they proclaimed. According to them, revolution will not fully triumph unless the liberation of the proletariat from the bourgeoisie is accomplished by the liberation of nature from man's oppression. No surprise that Marx called for the liberation of animals, quoting Thomas Munzer, the leader of the German peasant revolt in the early 16th century. All creatures have been turned into property. The fishes in the water, the birds in the air, the planets on the earth, the creatures, too, must become free, unquote. Later, neo-Marxist schools developed the concepts of species imperialism, that is, an imperialism of man over nature that mirrors that of the upper class over the lower ones and the stronger peoples over the weaker ones. Further developing on these ideas, revolutionary currents during the 50s and 60s came to question the whole of industrial society as being intrinsically oppressive of nature. Whence originated the ecologist and anti-consumerist movements? At about the same time that Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels were developing the theories of communism, modern ecology was born. The term ecology was coined in 1866 by German naturalist Ernst Haeckel. By ecology, he meant a sort of economy of nature that studied the interchange of matter and energy between living organisms and their environment. He created the scientific foundation of the modern ecological movement. A fanatical disciple of Charles Darwin, Haeckel viewed nature as an ecosystem in which organisms struggle for the survival of the fittest. He also founded a new naturalist and pantheist religion that intended to replace Christianity in Germany, the Monist League. Unlike Christianity, which considers the material universe and God to be distinct from each other, the primary principle of monism is that the universe is made up of one sole substance. He wrote, Dualism breaks up the universe into two entirely distinct substances, the material world and an immaterial God, who is represented to be its creator, sustainer, and ruler. Monism, on the contrary, recognizes one sole substance in the universe, which is at once God and nature, body and spirit, or matter and energy. It holds to be inseparable. The extramundane God of dualism leads necessarily to theism, and the intramundane God of the monist leads to pantheism. Unquote. According to Haeckel, Monism saw the whole universe as a single being made of the same substance. Humans, animals, plants, and minerals therefore all have the same moral worth and a fundamental equality. Monism is essentially pantheism. As Haeckel himself wrote, The monistic idea of God recognizes the divine spirit in all things. God is everywhere— we might therefore represent God as the infinite sum of all natural forces, the sum of all atomic forces, and all ether vibrations, unquote. Haeckel also taught that nature is the sole source of all truth and our sole guide for human behavior. 
He despised Christian revelation as an abominable myth that distracts from the real source of truth, which is nature itself. Quote, truth unadulterated is only to be found in the temple of the study of nature. And the goddess of truth dwells in the temple of nature, in the green woods, on the blue sea, and on the snowy summits of the hills, not in the gloom of the cloister, nor in clouds of incense of our Christian churches. The paths which lead to the noble divinity of truth and knowledge are the loving study of nature and its laws, not senseless ceremonies and unthinking prayers." Human society, he thought, should be demolished and reorganized in accordance with the rules established in the natural world. All those social institutions, traditions, and religions that separate man from the natural world must be abolished. Haeckel's ideas about ecology spread rapidly in the late 19th and well into the 20th centuries. Charles Darwin, Conrad Lorenz, Alexander von Humboldt, and Carl Ritter in Europe, and Henry David Thoreau, John Muir, Aldo Leopold, Rachel Carson, and David Brower in America, all contributed to or further developed the ideas of Haeckel and monism, among many others. Not surprisingly, these men and women were all socialists or very left-wing. German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer spoke for many when he wrote in 1890 that, quote, the fundamental error of Christianity is the unnatural distinction that Christianity makes between man and the animal world to which he really belongs. It sets up man as all-important and looks upon animals as merely things, unquote. The ideas of monism and ecology were taken even further by so-called deep ecology. Developed by Norwegian philosopher Arne Næss in the 60s and 70s and popularized by the American philosopher George Sessions, it forms the basis for nearly all ecological thought today. Deep ecology takes the radically egalitarian ideas of monism even farther. It considers all non-human life, from animals to single-celled organisms, to have equal value to man and a final purpose, not for man, but for themselves. A dog, a river, a snake, a fly, a microbe, a mountain, and a baby all have equal value. Therefore, the earth does not exist to serve man, but rather as an end in itself. Its followers detest what they call the Christian arrogance toward nature. It was the Catholic Church that taught Western man to use nature for his own selfish ends and not live in communion with it in perfect equality, like the Buddhists or American Indians. Deep ecologist Chellis Glendinning even compares the effects of our modern civilization to the Catholic dogma of original sin, calling it, quote-unquote, original trauma supposedly the cause of widespread psychological and emotional disorders. American deep ecologist Gary Snyder writes that when human beings consider themselves superior to plants and animals, quote, we are ignorant of our own nature and confused about what it means to be a human being. This confusion stems from judging ourselves independent from and superior to other forms of life, rather than accepting equal membership in the seemingly chaotic and totally interdependent world of wildness, unquote. Deep ecologists hate Western civilization for its role in establishing a hierarchy of man over nature. Thomas Berry, 
an American passionist priest and self-described geologian, describes contemporary human civilization as a form of patriarchy that is oppressing the natural world. For him, there are four basic patriarchal oppressions that must be destroyed. Rulers over people, men over women, possessors over non-possessors, and humans over nature. This egalitarianism extends so far that deep ecologist Jack Turner wrote that we must see ourselves as food for other animals, just as they are food for you. Humans must take up residence in the biological order without any privileges above animals to be in harmony with Gaia. If human needs come into conflict with those of non-humans, the humans should defer to the latter. Arnie Nace admitted that society must change its attitudes toward the earth and submit to what he called the core democracy of the biosphere, that is, the radically egalitarian ideology of deep ecology. If not, he admitted that we will, quote, need a dictatorship to save what is left of the diversity of life forms, a smooth way involving harmonious living with nature, or a rough way involving a dictatorship and coercion. Those are the options. The longer we wait to make the necessary changes, the more drastic will be the measures needed, unquote. Deep ecologists have an enthusiasm for communal living and a rejection of private property. Gary Snyder wrote that the complication of possessions, the notion of my and mine, stand between us and a true, clear, liberated way of seeing the world, unquote. In fact, the societies that most closely resemble the ideal for deep ecologists are the primitive tribal societies of the American Indians. They live a subsistence lifestyle without technology, without civilization, without private property, without hierarchy, as they worship the earth, the sun, and nature as gods. Deep ecologist George Sessions praised the, quote, cultures of the most primal hunting-gathering societies throughout the world that were permeated with nature-oriented religions that expressed the ecocentric perspective, unquote. As we have seen, communism and ecology have many principles in common. They are both radically egalitarian, they both reject Christianity and the notion of a personal God, they both hate Western European civilization, they both are anarchical, they both embrace evolution, they both reject private property in any form, and they are both utopian. Modern ecology, in fact, can simply be seen as a more advanced form of socialism with quasi-religious overtones. This type of ecology is part of the revolutionary process analyzed by Plinio Correa de Oliveira in Revolution and Counter-Revolution. In a lecture, commenting on the 1992 United Nations Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, he said, quote, The revolution willed to overthrow ecclesiastical authority through Protestantism, secular authority through the French Revolution, and socioeconomic inequalities through Communism. Now it wants to overturn the hierarchy whereby man can no longer dominate nature, but rather has to obey it. From being the king of nature, man becomes its serf. As you see, ecology is nothing else but the metamorphosis of communism. The revolution wants to destroy the authority that man possesses over nature, which is God-given, and put him in the service of something that is inferior to him. So to those who say that communism is dead... 
We answer that this ecological egalitarianism realizes the egalitarian and anarchic utopia of communism, unquote. The most important common element between ecology and socialism, however, is their mutual enthusiasm for primitive, pagan, pre-Christian tribal life, exemplified by the Indians of the Americas. As far back as 1928, at the Sixth World Congress of the Communist International in Moscow, the Communist parties of Latin America were instructed to fight for self-determination for the Indian tribes, to produce propaganda in Indian languages, and to try to win over Indians to the Communist cause. In the 30s, the Peruvian and Chilean Communist parties began to agitate for the creation of independent Indian republics in their respective countries. In 1950, the Mexican communists launched a slogan, Autonomy in Regional and Local Administration for the Indigenous Peoples. And the Second Declaration of Havana, published in Fidel Castro's Cuba in 1962, invoked the causes of Indians, mestizos, black people, in order to make them into a powerful army for the revolution. This pre-Christian, primitive Indian of the Americas serves as a model for both socialism and ecology. It was in Latin America in the 70s, specifically in Brazil, where these ideas were adopted and implemented by the Catholic left. Leonardo Boff, the Brazilian ex-Franciscan friar, Marxist, liberation theologian, and co-author of Laudato Si, summarized this well when he wrote that, quote, the cry of the earth is the cry of the poor, and the cry of the poor is the cry of the earth, our mother earth, who is being crucified, and it is our task to rescue her like we have done for decades with the poor, unquote. In response to this revolution, in 1977, Plinio Correa de Oliveira wrote a book called Indigenous Tribalism, Communist Missionary Ideal for Brazil in the 21st Century. Professor Plinio showed, in their own words, how Catholic leftist missionaries in Brazil see the lifestyle, morals, and religion of the Brazilian Indians as expressing the principles of socialism and ecology to the highest degree. Primitive Indians live without capitalism, private property, without Christian faith or morals, and live in harmony with the earth. In other words, they live both for the socialist and ecological utopias. Therefore, to save the earth from themselves and destruction, Westerners must destroy their economic, political, and social institutions and imitate the tribal life of the Amazon Indians. Bishop Pedro Casada Liga, a leading figure of indigenous tribalism in Brazil in the 70s, described himself and the movement as transcommunist, that is, a movement based on the same principles of communism, yet taking them to a more radical conclusion the perfect fulfillment of communism, if you will. Likewise, this ecological indigenous tribalism, which the Pan-Amazon Synod aims to implement, is nothing less than the old communism that has simply metamorphosed. Communism has not died, but lives on in the form of ecology. Green is the new red. Ecology is the perfect fulfillment of the egalitarian dream of Karl Marx and the total subversion of the hierarchical order that God placed in the universe. It would be impossible to conceive of a greater rejection of God's order than this. Let us pray to Our Lady of Guadalupe. 
patroness of the Americas and symbol of the triumph of Catholicism over paganism and Christian civilization over barbarism, that she will expose and crush this diabolical maneuver both in the church and society. This is the end of This is How the Green Ecology Movement Turned Red. Since Mr. Bascom gave this talk in 2019, the coronavirus came into all of our lives. Some of the reactions to it from the left confirm his assessment at the time. Mr. Bascom makes this application in his article dated May 7, 2020, entitled How the Coronavirus Shutdown Favors Green Dedevelopment. As the debate rages over stay-at-home orders during the corona pandemic, most conservative opinion has focused on the damage to the economy, excessive government surveillance, or the massive increase in government debt. These are very valid and important concerns. But the coronavirus's most enduring damage will not be a lower GDP, higher debt, or even lost jobs. The shutdown is a valuable opportunity for radical Greens to impose what they have been dreaming about for decades— permanent de-development. For radical greens, the final goal of environmentalism is not to eliminate pollution, build solar panels, or reduce carbon dioxide emissions. The real cause of our ecological crisis is Western Christian civilization. It gave rise to our hierarchical relationship with the natural world and our free market economy based on private property. Our environmental problems, therefore, are not economic or social or political, but civilizational. As Greta Thunberg has said, to fight climate change, we need system change. Quote, The climate justice fight here in the U.S. and around the world is not just a fight against the biggest ecological crisis of all time, explains Mia Yoshitani, executive director of the Asian Pacific Environmental Network, it is a fight for a new economy, a new energy system, a new democracy, a new relationship to the planet and to each other. We are bound together in this battle, not just for a reduction in the parts per million of CO2, but to transform our economies and build the world that we want today, unquote. Ivo de Boer. Executive Secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change between 2006 and 2010 stated, The only way we can achieve a two-degree temperature reduction goal is to shut down the whole global economy, unquote. The solution they propose is called de-development, the dismantling of our modern economy based on profit and private property. In their 1973 book, Human Ecology, Problems and Solutions, John Holdren and Paul Ehrlich explain, quote, A massive campaign must be launched to restore a high-quality environment in North America and to de-develop the United States. De-development means bringing our economic system, especially patterns of consumption, into line with the realities of ecology and the global resource situation. The need for de-development presents our economists with a major challenge. They must design a stable, low-consumption economy in which there is a much more equitable distribution of wealth than in the present one. Redistribution of wealth both within and among nations is absolutely essential if a decent life is provided for every human being." Unquote. 
Kevin Anderson and Alice Bose Larkin of the Tyndall Center for Climate Change Research in the UK and two of Britain's top climate change activists stated that emissions cuts of 10% or so, as advocated by many environmental groups, are not nearly enough. We must implement, quote, radical and immediate degrowth strategies in the US, EU, and other wealthy nations, unquote. When the United Nations published its new Sustainable Development Goals in 2015, many radical Greens attacked it for not going far enough. Speaking for many, anthropologist Jason Hickel of the London School of Economics affirmed that, quote, growth isn't an option anymore, unquote. The real cause of our environmental crisis is not pollution per se, but the Western model of economic growth based on private property, profit, and free enterprise. Quote, what does this mean for our theory of development? Instead of pushing poorer countries to catch up with the rich ones, we should be thinking of ways to get rich countries to catch down to more appropriate levels of development. We should look at societies where people live long and happy lives at relatively low levels of income and consumption as exemplars of efficient living, unquote. The peoples of the Western world need to dismantle their economies and live poorer, more communitarian, and more sustainable lifestyles. They must sacrifice their cheap, abundant energy and a free enterprise economy to save planet Earth. Not surprisingly, Hickel's model country is communist Cuba, which he regards, quote, not as underdeveloped, but rather as appropriately developed, unquote. Poverty in communist regimes is a feature, not a bug. And make no mistake, they are doing everything in their power to bring that poverty to the West. In February 2019, Democrats in Congress launched the Green New Deal, the most radical green manifesto in decades. Among other things, it seeks to end modern agriculture, phase out hydrocarbon-based energy, and implement a massive state takeover of the economy. Such policies would make food and energy far more expensive, destroy tens of millions of jobs, and de-develop the United States. Naturally, such radical plans have met with severe pushback. For many years now, the Green Agenda has struggled to win over public opinion. President Trump's 2017 withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement, a move widely supported by Americans, dealt the Green Movement a crushing defeat. In Europe, the Gilets jaunes protest movement erupted, in part as a reaction to fuel taxes imposed by the French government to fulfill its commitments to the Paris Agreement. Attempts to curtail agriculture have also failed. In May 2019, a court decision in the Netherlands, the second largest agricultural exporter in the world, ruled that the country was out of compliance with the European Union rules for nitrogen emissions. When the Dutch government tried to force farmers to reduce production in October, protests erupted. Tens of thousands of Dutch farmers drove their tractors into The Hague and other cities, causing massive traffic jams. Polls show that three-fourths of the Dutch population supports the farmers. Or consider last year's global climate strike. In the lead-up to the UN's COP25 environmental summit in Chile, green activists organized hundreds of thousands of climate marches around the world. Thousands of activists marched in a giant climate strike to push a global Green New Deal. 
Greta Thunberg, the star of the Global Green Movement, gave a hysterical apocalyptic speech at the UN's Climate Action Summit in New York. The eyes of all the future generations are upon you, she shouted. If you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line, unquote. It was a primal scream for climate action, yet public support for radical green policies barely budged. Green activists are frustrated that they cannot push their agenda forward. Most Americans and Europeans simply do not believe that global warming is a threat that requires such radical measures as the Green New Deal. Many others see environmentalism for what it is, a vehicle for communism. Until a few months ago, the outlook for the radical green agenda was grim. Coronavirus and the subsequent government lockdowns have changed the whole equation. Radical Greens are seeing it as the best chance to impose their policies on an unwilling public and break through the impasse. Commenting on the pandemic, Rahm Emanuel, former chief of staff under President Obama, was so bold as to reprise his famous phrase from the 2008 financial crisis, quote, never let a crisis go to waste. Start planning for the future. This has to be the last pandemic that causes an economic depression. We're going to have more pandemics, but this has to be the last economic depression. Unquote. Astrophysicist Martin Lopez Corradoria wrote that, quote, neither Greenpeace, nor Greta Thunberg, nor any other individual or collective organization have achieved so much in favor of the health of the planet in such a short time. It is certainly not very good for the economy in general, but it is fantastic for the environment. Unquote. Oxford University Peter Frankopan wrote in the Times of London that the beneficiary of the coronavirus, quote, will be the climate. After all, the world's lungs are already breathing more easily thanks to the collapse of industrial production. Who is to say that this pandemic does not provide a turning point in world history, unquote? Geographer Joel Kotkin wrote that, quote, mass shutdowns that we now experience likely necessary in a pandemic, could provide a model for imposing harsh actions to curb carbon emissions that activists consider as great or greater threats than the virus itself, unquote. Former UN climate chief Christiana Figueres affirmed that slower economic growth from coronavirus, quote, may be good for the climate. There is less trade, less travel, less commerce, unquote. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez told Scientific American that the coronavirus pandemic is an opportunity, quote, to rebuild the global economy along more sustainable lines, unquote. Pope Francis, arguably the most influential world leader, sees the pandemic as an opportunity to implement the anti-development ideas contained in his encyclical Laudato Si. Coronavirus, he said, is nature, quote, unquote, having a fit over man-made environmental damage. The shutdowns are an opportunity to slow down our rate of production and consumption and to move it from using and misusing nature to contemplating it, unquote. Vatican News published, and then quickly deleted, an article by Father Benedict Mayaki, S.J., entitled Coronavirus, Earth's Unlikely Ally, in which he claimed that, quote, the changes in human behavior due to the COVID-19 virus pandemic are yielding unintended benefits to the planet. Earth is healing itself, unquote. Leonardo Boff, 
the Brazilian liberation theologian and co-author of Laudato Si, wrote in a blog post that the coronavirus is, quote-unquote, retaliation of Gaia for mankind's violence against nature and the profound inequality in human society. Patriotic citizens have raised concerns about the excessive government shutdowns of the economy, the trillions of dollars in new bailouts, millions of lost jobs, the threat from communist China, and especially the massive increase in government surveillance in the name of public health. These threats are very real and we must oppose them. But these issues are a means to an end. The final goal is green de-development and the destruction of the Western Christian civilization. Just ask Greta. This is the end of Green is the New Red, The Communist Motivations Behind Environmentalism, two articles by Mr. James Bascom. Thank you so much for listening. In print, both articles are extensively footnoted. To read these or find related articles, please visit our websites at www.tfp.org and www.returntoorder.org. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright. 2020, by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.